Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, fried fans. You might recognize that I sound a little bit different today because I am not in my podcasting closet. I am in my sister's office at her house. So a little bit of a different sound structure of the day. And my guest and I were just talking about how we both have dogs that like to yell in the background. So you might hear our dogs today. I'm just going to throw that out there now because, you know, life is life. Today, Mm -hmm. I'm really, really excited because I started a relationship with Rebecca Case probably six or nine months ago now. We started chatting. I did a Mm -hmm. workshop for her people, and now she's here to talk to you. And there's a really big reason that I want her to be here today. And, And we'll get to it sort of, you know, after we go through her story. But today we're going to talk about a particular technique that is used for trauma. And I know that that's a big deal for everybody in this community. So I wanted to give you the best of the best when it comes to this technique. So today we are talking to Rebecca Case. She's a licensed clinical social worker, a psychotherapist, and an EMDR expert. She owns Rebecca Case & Co., a training and consulting business for psychotherapists dedicated to healing the wounds of trauma. Rebecca, welcome to Fried. Hey there, my friends. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm so excited to be here and share space with you. Oh, same. So we start every guest episode with the guest's burnout story. So I'm going to sort of kick back and relax and give you the stage mm-hmm. and let's see what comes up. Mm, yeah. Um, well, which burnout story? They all have different flavors because you know, our nervous systems are always changing. We're always evolving. And so what led to our burnout one round may, may look and feel very different at another point in time. And so I'll say I'm burnt out right now. I am burnt out in this moment. And interestingly, it's, it's not so much because of my direct work or my service hours. It's because of the world in which we're living in right now. Um, the political climate, the actual climate, all of those pieces are major burnout factors for every human being on this planet. And I think that if you work in a field that is dedicated to serving and helping others, uh, to helping to heal the wounds of suffering and trauma, it's really effing hard right now to find the muster in your own nervous system to show up in a bright and resilient way because you're processing things that are happening. You're trying to make sense of it. You're having your own grief response. Um, and, and then you got to show up and be a light and hold space and be a container for others. When I have to say, like, I just really don't fucking want to, I just like want to go sit down and binge out and check out to Netflix and eat ice cream. Um, I got up this morning. I was like, I'm going to go get some damn donuts. That's what I did. I'm going to go get some donuts. So I had some donuts for breakfast, which I usually don't do. Um, And there might be what I call a self-care cake later in my future today. So that's one of my self-care items is I make myself just a, a cheap box cake and I just go to town on it for about a day. (laughs) my self-care cake. So my husband always knows when he sees the self-care cake, he's like, oh, that's where we are. We're calling out the big guns. (laughs) So I want to just say already that um, the listeners that have been around for a while should already know why I adore you. (laughs) Just in that short (laughs) intro. And I also want to bring it back for a second before we get into deeper parts of of your story on 
this came up and comes up in the Facebook group regularly. Like, how do I face life when everything is so hard, when the climate yeah. is falling apart and when racism is such a problem and when, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera, and Roe Ro v. Wade just get overturned and how, mm-hmm. how, mm-hmm. how uh, mm-hmm. do we function? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that's coming up a lot in the group. Yeah. Donuts and self-care cake. No, I I don't, I don't want to be insensitive to anybody who struggles with disordered eating habits or that, you know, like sugar is not your thing. I mean, whatever your thing is like, just, I think my recommendation is, it's like, it's okay to not know how to pick yourself up sometimes. And, and if anything, a reframe is like the reactions that you have to the very real existential threats that we face day to day are a sign that your nervous system is working. Like you should have reactions. You should feel these things. And so as hard as it is when I'm sitting there tonight, eating my self-care cake and watching like, you know, some show or something as crappy as it feels, I need to remind myself of like, this is where I'm supposed to be because I'm awake, because I'm conscious, because I'm paying attention. And because I do a job that I feel is really meaningful and makes a difference. And so I'm going to be impacted by that. And it's hard to hold space for people sometimes because I don't know how to find my way through this. And so I think that's just like my number one tip is, is like reframe your burnout as a sign that your nervous system is working as it's supposed to. And it's information for you. And it's not always something to like fix or mend or, you know, self-care or gratitude journal away. We know that that stuff, you know, has limitations, of course, but like, can you just just let yourself break and fall apart sometimes and then notice that the process will change and you'll need something different. Yeah. And I do want to take a moment to talk about the existential things Mm -hmm. because while they are real 100%, I always go back in moments like that. Whenever I start to be even a little overwhelmed with things like that, I always go back to Mr. Rogers, look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I have privy to is some of the environmental changes that some of the biggest corporations in the world are doing. Not everybody knows how hard they're working to make things better. And is it too late? And is it too slow? And is it too, they are literally literally doing so much that we don't have any awareness of. So when I get overwhelmed in those moments, I also remind myself that my job can only be my job. Mm-hmm. Like uh, my job is to do this podcast and raise burnout awareness and provide burnout support one-on-one for people and speak in front of crowds and help people heal bit by bit. That's my job. I can't do that. And change the climate and raise children and do that. Like I can't do mm-hmm. all of the things I can still recycle in my own home and I can reduce my plastic use and I can do the small things, but the bigger thing, I, I do my big thing. And then I try to trust that there are things happening on a larger scale that I am not privy to. And I just happen to be privy to some of the, the, the corporate world because of work that my husband does. That's very um, tied into sustainability. I mean, they're literally trying to change the world. And I know companies that are doing it, not because they're going to have to, but because they actually have a desire to, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we just saw with, with, you know, there's still things going on in the Ukraine, but when, when mm-hmm. everything in the Ukraine started, one of the biggest mm, interferences that were run were corporations pulling mm-hmm. their businesses out of Russia, making sure the Ukraine had, you know, internet and do it. Like there was so many things that were not done by governments or by individual people, but by corporations who we have been pounding on for mm-hmm. years and years and we needed to, but now they're shifting. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I always come back to what is my job? What can I actually really do? Mm-hmm. And where are the helpers? There are other helpers. I have to trust that there are other helpers out there. I am not the person saving dogs, but somebody has to volunteer at the shelter. Mm-hmm. I'm not the person getting food into South Sudan or Syria, mm-hmm. but somebody is working those humanitarian efforts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So look for the helpers. And if you can't 
see them necessarily understand that they're still there. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you talk about a couple of really important concepts in, in that, that share that relate to trauma therapy and how we understand our stress responses. Mm -hmm. So our nervous system is, is wired to have a negativity bias. Like that's not really a surprise to anyone. That's, that's why you're still here. Right. Like your nervous system is always operating through your autonomic nervous system has this process. It's called neuroception and neuroception stands for perception without awareness. It's kind of like your home surveillance system, like that you turn on at night or when you leave the house, you turn up, you set the alarm and the system like scans your house and sounds an alarm, calls the police, notifies you if something happens that shouldn't have. You don't have to be there 24-7 scanning your locks and your doors and your windows and making sure nothing's on fire, right? And so your nervous system has a similar process built in called neuroception. It's always scanning your environment for cues of danger or safety, and it does so without your conscious awareness. And so that's kind of our built-in negativity bias is that it's always looking out for danger because you we wouldn't be able to live effective lives at all or get anything done if we had to always be checking like am i sick is anything on fire is are there any intruders in my house um you know like if you had to do that all the time you wouldn't get a damn thing done right and so the system is always scanning and it will the the alarm is you feel the responses of fight flight freeze or collapse when you, when your system picks up on those danger cues. And so when our world is full of so many cues of danger on these large scale levels, your nervous system is just wired to focus on that stuff because that's how you're built. And then we have a society that, you know, we have the news that's just like, if it bleeds, let it lead. And, and, and we have bias in, in, you know, what's put in front of us on social media and the news and what have you. So one thing that you're talking about is bringing in your ability to connect with adaptive networks. So this is something we talk a lot about in EMDR is adaptive memory networks. And your adaptive memory networks are those experiences that you have that are certainly full of like rainbows and sunshine and warm cookies or self-care cakes and, you know, the experience of feeling safe. But they're also experiences that, that give you hope for the future or like adversities you face that you have now overcome and you've made adaptive meaning of. So when you can tell yourself, like, look for the helpers, you're, you're relying on your adaptive networks that says, okay, I remember this from what Mr. Rogers told me, and I know that there are helpers are out there. How do I shift my perspective? One thing that I try and practice doing that I've learned in some of my Buddhist studies um, from Thich Nhat Hanh is, is look for the duality in your life that yes, like this is on fire and this is falling apart and this is, you know, exploding and the birds are singing and the sun is still rising And the moon is still mesmerizing. And there are people that love you all around you. And your dog is still cute and adorable. And there, you know, there are helpers in the world. And while it's really, really hard to do when you're in like the depths of those stress responses or you are buried in the rubble of burnout, with enough practice, it gets easier to do. That you can start to notice like, whoop, there I go, focusing us in on all the shit that's wrong, right? Like, let me remind myself and, and balance out a little bit. And it's not meant to be like toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing because it's not saying like shit's not on fire. Like, yes, shit's on fire. And the birds are singing while it's burning down. You know, it's about being able to find the balance, the dialectic of life in that that I think is really important and helpful when our neuroception is like danger, danger, danger. Yeah, this is such a core philosophy of Chinese medicine, right? All of mm. Chinese medicine is built off the Tai Chi symbol, the, the yin yang symbol. And that's exactly that. There is always paradox, there is always duality, there is always a seed of something within its mm-hmm. its opposite, right? So mm-hmm. this is this constant idea of like there is always this duality. And, and I love the way you just said this because you know that I, I don't love gratitude journals when you're burnt out, but it's mm-hmm. this is not gratitude. This is noticing facts. This is just practical fact checking. Yes, the dumpster across the street is on fire. Also, I'm making myself a a meal or Mm -hmm. baking myself a self-care cake. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, there. I am worried about my family who lives in Poland because Mm -hmm. there's a war going on in the Ukraine. And the birds are singing. Mm -hmm. 
and I even enjoy it. Doesn't mean I have to tell you I'm grateful about it, but you can, there's a lot of, um, Instagram got big maybe five years ago on this whole idea of like, you know, you can only feel one emotion at a time, which is like such bullshit. Like (laughs) if you, if you feel enough joy, like it'll block out the anger. And if you have enough gratitude, then it'll block out resentment. And if you do, no, no, Mm -hmm. I can be very afraid Mm -hmm. and nervous about 15 different things Mm -hmm. and still find a moment of awe in birdsong all at the same time. Yes. You can have what polyvagal theory in the neuroscience world would call a mixed state. So our autonomic nervous system is wired with these three circuits. So we have like the window of tolerance, which is like the optimal zone of around a world where everything's just like pretty good, like hunky dory, psychologically, physiologically, like you're doing pretty good. Then we have our sympathetic nervous system, which is where fight and flight live, right? Like that's where anxiety and panic and restlessness and hypervigilance and I can't sleep and my heart rate is racing and like I'm so angry. That's where all that stuff lives. And then we have the dorsal vagal circuit, which is another part of your parasympathetic nervous system, which is where collapse lives. That's where like I feel like I want to go sit down and just binge on self-care cake and watch Netflix. I want to check out. I want to immobilize. I want to like fall apart inside. It's like depression, dissociation, derealization, just like that, like lethargic energy comes from, right? But those three states of our nervous system, like they're all useful. They're all good. They've served you. You're still alive. So they've worked to keep you here. But like they don't live in cinder blocks because we're really dynamic people. You know, it's not like I'm only in fight or flight. Like sometimes, yes, you are fully in fight or flight. But if you can notice the birds are singing and I'm making myself a really good thing to eat. And I love my dog and the dumpster is on fire across the street. And I'm really scared about it. That's what's called a mixed state where you have like this kind of like the primary colors, right? Like you're mixing colors and you have this new state. That's like really dynamic. And there's so much in there. There's like the good and the bad and the ugly and and everything in between. And the reality is, is that like, that's where most of us live throughout the day. Like we live in mixed states. It's rare that you're like only in one state, but if you can practice in those times of like, I feel way too much fight or flight energy, like I'm being swept away, I'm in the cinder block of fight or flight, or I feel completely collapsed in that dorsal response of like, that's where I am right now. Being able to look for those, that, that duality and the things of like, this is what's working, or this is what I do love, or this is what makes me happy. And this is what's not on fire helps you to get a foot into that window of tolerance state, into your ventral circuit. And so then you're going to feel a little bit more balanced because you don't have one of these survival stress responses leading the way and sweeping you away. So it's actually, I mean, when we do that, it's actually a way to kind of hack our neurobiology. We love a good biohack around here. Yeah. (laughs) And through all of that, we missed all of your burnout story. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll go to maybe one of the other ones then. Yeah, sure. This is where I am right now, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily like burnt out because of work. So when I think about maybe my worst burnout experience, it was a number of years ago when I was working in community mental health. So I was working in nonprofit insanity. Um, And I was leading a a couple of, I I was the manager of our adult outpatient programs. And it was just, um, I worked there for about four years. And it was a really unsafe environment, period, in regards to we had, um, I was working with some of our really high intensity teams that were working with some very unstable clients. And we had some folks who were making some very homicidal threats and um, against other people in the community or against, um, you know, actual like employees who worked there. Um, The organizational leadership was really toxic, um, very like authoritarian and do what we say and, you know, no flavor of, you know, and we're in the field of mental health, Um, very top down, non-transparency and like decisions and and what have you. I hadn't gotten a raise for four years, so I'd always gotten positive reviews and was told I was one of the most valuable managers at the organization. We went through huge layoffs. And at one point I was directly supervising 60 clinicians, which is impossible, impossible to provide clinical supervision to that many people. Um, 
And I, I had some leadership changes and my boss was somebody who was very distrustworthy, you know, who was very like put on a facade to, to, to your face and, and was just total backstabber. Um, so I just got super burnt out with all of that toxicity. And I was having major problems with sleep. I was in that sympathetic fight or flight drive like all of the time. I was super anxious. I started having panic attacks. Um, I lost a bit of weight because my appetite changed and I wasn't eating well. I was using some really maladaptive coping strategies. Um, I secret, I used to smoke cigarettes when I was a teenager. And at that time I poked, I picked up cigarettes again after work and would just kind of chain smoke at the end of the day in an effort to try and downregulate myself. You know, all of our strategies that we go to when we are out of that window of tolerance are all attempts to cope, whether or not they're adaptive or not. Everything you do throughout the day is an attempt to regulate yourself. So at one point, I, I just got to this, this place where I feel like I heard like the voice of God who was just like, you can't continue to do this. This is, this is not going to end well for you or anyone around you. Um, and, and I made some choices that I was going to leave the system. Like I'm not, I can't be part of this anymore. And at that time when I was really like listening to myself and I was listening to my burnout, because all of your symptoms are messages. They're your nervous system trying to tell you fire, fire, danger, danger. We need to do something different. And so when I stopped trying to thwart them or numb them or bury them, and I really listened I saw a different way and a new path. I saw, I've done my time here in community mental health and I can't fix this system. I, damn, I've tried. I have definitely tried, but it is time to, you got no one to hold them and no one to fold them and it's time to fold them. And at that point I had this amazing opportunity come across my plate, which got me into where I am now today in my career, which is I own my own business doing what I absolutely love. And I'm kind of woo-woo. I'm very science-based, but I'm also woo-woo. I believe I'm a balance of the science and the woo-woo. And so my woo-woo side just saw that, oh my gosh, like the, these are those moments in your life when, when, you know, like divine intervention, the universe, mother earth, whatever that is, is saying, turn right right now <laughs> go left like, like a big neon sign with flashing light and I was really scared of course when 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 we try and leave a toxic traumatic relationship like that like a lot of us have with our burnout um culture places of of employment it's scary it brings up maybe your imposter syndrome or messages about your self-worth or it could bring up you know shit you've learned that's not helpful from other toxic workplaces or your family of origin or whatever that may be you know what i see a lot mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. this situation i see a lot of people thinking that if they just tried harder they could fix it mm -hmm. they could fix the whole i can do it all yeah. I can do it all. If I could just explain to this manager why doing it differently, then that manager would have a different effect on this worker, yes. which would have a different effect on. And I'm like, listen, mm -hmm. you've been actually trying to do that and it's not working. Mm -hmm. Yes. What evidence do you have to support that? What evidence yeah. do you have to go against that? Yeah. And yeah. where did that belief come from? Is what mm. an EMDR therapist would ask. Yeah. Where does that come from? Is that old stuff? Is that an old story? And if so, that's your past intruding on into your present and getting in the way of your happiness right now. Yeah. That's not based in truth. That's an old narrative that's stored in your memory networks that needs to be cleared out. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things, yeah. another, another thing that I think is important that I know this part because of reading it in your story is you, you heard these things, you noticed these things, you started to make some changes, you started to make some changes, but you didn't actually leave your job for a few months. Mm -hmm. Right. Which yeah. I want to throw that out there because um, a lot of people are like, well, I can't just quit my job. I don't have that kind of money. And I'm like, I am not telling you to quit it tomorrow. I am telling you mm -hmm. that it's time to create an exit strategy. Yeah. Yeah. You have to remind yourself of possibilities so that when they come across you, you notice them. So it seems like that's what happened for you. You were like, OK, well, this is not going to work. I have to make a change. And then a possibility arise. Yes, right. exactly. Mm -hmm. But you were prepared yeah. to see it. 
Yeah, I I had to practice one of my um, a virtue that I don't naturally possess, which is patience. And uh, but but there was a difference. Like when you get to the moment and you cross the line and you say, "I'm done here." Yeah, I'm not going to focus on how to save this sinking ship anymore, or how to make my nervous system feel better in this toxic work culture. When I did that, I took my power back. Yes. which as a trauma therapist is a very trauma informed thing to do because yeah. then I knew when I was going into work while I wasn't telling people I was planning on leaving it shifted because I'm like well now I'm just playing the game I'm doing whatever I need to do to fly under the radar and just do what I need to do here until I find the right strategy that's going to work for me because I didn't want to make a choice as a knee-jerk reaction in an emotional state and get myself into like just make a lateral move right just yeah. get myself into another toxic space. And so I took my time and I was really thoughtful and I planned it strategically. And I'm so grateful I did. And in doing so, I helped to heal my burnout because I communicated to my internal world, you are worth more than this. And you're worth so much. We're going to be really thoughtful about where we land. And one of the best bits of advice that I got as I was planning that strategy, I was talking to somebody about my fears and my anxieties of, you know, like this leap I was going to make. And what they said to me was, Rebecca, sometimes you just have to jump and trust that your parachute is going to open. And I did. And if you're burnt out, if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine that you work most likely in a field that is really high demand and that you're probably in high demand. And I think it's important that we reframe and recognize, I mean, especially if there's therapists listening to this, which I'm sure there are, because I talk about this podcast all the time to my community, (laughs) you know, like we're in high demand. If you work in a helping professional profession, you have job security. Thank goodness. And that really sucks at the same time. But in that, that implies that you can take your power back that you have the opportunity to say, no, this isn't good enough for me. I'm not going to do this. This isn't going to cut it. I'm going to leave and go somewhere else or I demand things to be differently because you're in high need. Medical professionals, psychotherapists have huge wait lists. There's a shortage in the mental health community and in the medical profession. I see that as leverage. That is leverage. So therefore you do not have to settle for some shitty deal that, that is not good for your wellness, your sanity, your body, your mind, heart, brain, or your family. Or your time. family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or your family. Or your family. Don't forget all the loved ones that your burnout bleeds out onto. Yeah. And not that's not to make you feel yeah. bad. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's just a recognition of the fact that your burnout isn't just your little world. Yeah. This is something that we, I, I talk about this with clients and um, as uh, the emotional soup. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine that the whole world is a giant pot of emotional soup. And every single one of us is bringing a particular flavor on any particular day. Mm-hmm. And we're bringing it to our families and, and to that little portion of the emotional soup. And we're bringing it to our workplaces and we're bringing it. So if you're bringing bitter and sour Everywhere you go into your emotional soup, it affects everybody that's eating that soup. Mm -hmm. No matter what. It's terrible soup. Nobody wants to sit down to dinner with you. It makes for bad soup and it's not, it's not your fault. Yeah. And it does affect other people. So choosing to heal Mm -hmm. somebody asked me recently what the ROI was on, on burnout coaching. (laughs) (laughs) your relationship. I have seen people not get divorced because of Mm -hmm. burnout coaching. Mm -hmm. I've seen people get mega raises because they were brave enough to speak up and change Mm -hmm. a situation at work. I've seen people leave their jobs and end up quote unquote, losing money over time only to go back to different jobs six months later where they were way happier and way better. So Mm -hmm. understanding that your burnout is about you and not only about you mm-hmm. can it could if we're back in the paradox space it could feel like a burden or it could also feel like a massive opportunity and a really good reason to invest in your healing 
Yes. It can be motivating, right? Because some of us, if we get stuck in our stories of like, I don't deserve anything better, or Mm -hmm. it's about our self-worth, we're stuck with the blinders on and it's all about us. Sometimes when we expand to explore, like how does this trickle out and affect people around me? It pulls on our just natural human instincts of empathy and compassion and can be a motivating factor because, okay, while I might do that to myself, I don't want to do that to my dog. I don't want to do that to my partner. I don't want to do that to my child, you know? And, And if you want to be part of like a positive force of change in this really strange world we live in, like it has to start with you. Like you have to embody it. If, if you want to model good boundaries to your children, you have to set the good boundaries, right? If you want to teach your friends or your community or people around you that, that like burnout culture is like not the way to go and you don't subscribe to it then you can't subscribe to it. And that's hard. It's an upward hill battle because of the culture and the society we exist in. But it's not impossible and you can do it. And if anything, your podcast teaches that because you're still here doing your series and people are continuously talking about how they broke the cycle. Yeah. So it's possible. Yeah. People are doing it all over the place all the time. Yeah. That's what people, you know, I hear a lot like burnout requires primary, secondary, tertiary interventions. It requires Mm. us to deal with the social determinants of health. It requires so many different aspects, but again, I can't do all of them. There is an organizational psychologist out there right now building out a better formula than I'm ever going to create because that is their focus. Mm -hmm. And so I hear a lot of like pushback, you know, self-care for burnout is useless because the systems are, are broken. You guys, we are the systems. (laughs) We uphold the system. The system doesn't work if people, if the people say, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Right. If you don't participate in it, it's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The, the more of us leave it, the weaker it gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we are the system. The system is made of us. Mm-hmm. We maybe didn't decide the rules. That could have been people 300 years ago. Right. But we're still choosing daily to live according to them. And we yes. don't have to. We don't have to. No. I think that it's, on this topic, it can be helpful to consider if, you know, when you're feeling really burnt out and you're pushing yourself beyond your, your like max capacity, like ask yourself, who does that benefit? It's clearly not benefiting you. It's somebody probably up a little higher with bigger pockets. (laughs) So who does that benefit? Do you want to continue to put that in that person's pocket? Now, sometimes, yes, we push ourselves, we hustle, Because I mean, I've been there, I burned myself out before in an effort to like escape a system, like I had to hustle really hard, but I knew like there's an end to this, there is an intention and a reason for this insanity, and it will only go on for this long. And yes, like that sometimes we got to hustle. But if you are kind of chronically stuck in this pervasive system, and, and it's not about the hustle, or it's not about like, I got to get here in three months, then really sit down and take some inventory and ask yourself, like, who is this benefiting? And is it benefiting people really? Like if, is it, if yeah. it's benefiting this person in finances, but you are adding a, a dash of bitter to every person's emotional <laughs> soup that you meet with all day, every day, mm-hmm. is the overall, are we, are we overall in the benefit category? Are we on the mm-hmm. plus side at the mm-hmm. end of the day? right? Like what, what's actually really happening here? One of the things that I think this gets wrapped up in um, that is hard to pull apart is, you know, if I'm not overgiving, if I'm not overdoing, if I'm not sacrificing myself, if I'm not the martyr, mm-hmm. then I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. So then it's not even about who is benefiting because you're not even thinking about there even being a benefit. You're just thinking about the fact that you have to sacrifice in order for what you provide or what you give to be valuable at all. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and that resonates with you, I invite you to take a moment and just step inside and get curious about what the belief system is that comes up with that. 
Is it, I'm not enough, I'm not lovable, I don't deserve, fill in the blank, whatever that is. Like really take a moment and lean into what the thoughts and beliefs are and notice the feelings and sensations that come along with that. And as you notice all that, go backwards in time. Think back in your life and get curious about the earliest memory that you have that you associate with all that. Where does that come from? I bet it goes back to your childhood. Maybe not, but I'm going to guess. And so if you're doing this and you notice that some old stuff comes up, just invite you to take a deep breath and recognize that this is about some old stuff that got stuck in your nervous system. It's getting replayed out here in the present. And it doesn't serve you now, though it may have served you then. And you have permission to heal from that old stuff that you can become your best self now. That's what EMDR does. Everybody's like, how do I hire her tomorrow? <laughs> Talk to us a little bit more about EMDR. What is it, first of all? Tell yeah. everybody what it stands for, kind of where it comes from, all the basics, because I, mm-hmm. I know that there's, it's something that I recommend often and people are always like, wait, what's, what, what is that? Yeah, what is this weird thing? Um, yeah, so EMDR, a really long name, so we just call it EMDR, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So we just call it EMDR. EMDR is an evidence-based therapy, meaning that it's been researched out the wazoo um, as a first line of treatment for PTSD. But it's also been shown to be really effective with addictions, anxiety, uh, depression, chronic pain, grief and loss, performance anxiety, just like day-to-day stuff, stuff that's stuck that's causing you yuck, EMDR can be helpful for. Stuff that's stuck that's causing you yuck. So what I mean by that is if you have like stuff stuck in your nervous system that you are reliving, you're replaying out, you're re-experiencing in some way, like it's gotten stuck in your nervous system, you can't move forward. EMDR could absolutely be a great therapy intervention to to explore. I think of EMDR as kind of like Drano for the Brano. (laughs) It's kind of like an antacid for your nervous system. (laughs) So what, what happens when you eat too much? Well, you feel terrible, right? Like your stomach feels all big and bloated and you feel gassy and maybe feel nauseous. And you're like, I gotta put on some like sweatpants, right? Because your digestive system just got overwhelmed. And so it can't do what it is supposed to do, which is digest your food. Your nervous system is constantly processing and digesting your life experiences. It integrates your experiences and forms memories based on how it integrates and what it stores. And so just like your digestive system, sometimes your nervous system just gets like overwhelmed or maybe you were really sick and something kind of yucky happened. So your nervous system couldn't digest it. Cause like, I don't know about you, but like I cannot function well when I'm sick or maybe you're hangry or maybe you hadn't taken your meds or maybe you didn't sleep well. Like whatever was going on that your nervous system wasn't like firing on all cylinders. Shit can get stuck in there and we re-experience it present day and we relive it in some way, shape or form like panic or anxiety or nightmares or PTSD or depression or addictions or things like that. So EMDR uh, was discovered by a psychologist in the late 80s. Um, Her name is Francine Shapiro. She passed away in 2019. And she was walking through the park one day and she was thinking about something that was bothering her. And as she was walking through the park and thinking about this upsetting thing, her eyes started going back and forth. She was like looking back and forth at the trees or watching some squirrels run around. And all of a sudden she was like, oh my God, I feel better about that thing. Is that because I was thinking about it when my eyes were going back and forth? Like most observant person ever, right? And so she was a psychologist. And so she had the luxury of having all these therapist friends around her. And she's like, come here, therapist friend. Think about something that feels crappy and follow my fingers and tell me if you feel better. And they're like, you know, I feel kind of better about that thing. So she went on to really research this because of course that sounds absurd. Like when I first heard about EMDR, I was like, what is this woo-woo science that somebody made up when they were like stoned in Boulder? Like this sounds absurd, right? So she did a ton of research on it and found that 
oh my gosh, it's not just about think about this thing that bothers you and follow my fingers. It's about the role of bilateral stimulation when you are intentionally focused on a memory that's stuck and causing you yuck. And so now EMDR is not just about eye movements, but we can also use tapping, tapping back and forth. There's also headphones that can beat back and forth in your ears. It's about receiving bilateral stimulation while you and your therapist hold space and think about a memory that together you've kind of excavated and sussed out as like, this is, this is stuck and causing yuck. Cause sometimes you know what those memories are and sometimes you got to dig a little. So I know it sounds crazy, but bilateral stimulation is found to be an important part of this evidence-based therapy and is believed to work in a couple of ways. It taxes your memory system because it's really hard to think about that past yucky thing while also following somebody's fingers in front of your face. So there's a whole piece of when you tax your memory system, it allows the memory to reconsolidate. I won't go any further into that because that gets a little too neuroscience geeky. But it also works on a similar process as REM sleep. So when you go to sleep at night, your eyes tend to start moving back and forth in your head, right? When you go through your REM cycles, REM cycles are believed to be super important for you to reconsolidate memories. So when you get enough REM cycles, you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I know what to do about that thing. Or I'm not upset about that anymore. Like you just feel kind of refreshed and renewed. So some things are just like too much for you to sleep off or just kind of work your way through on your own and they get stuck in your nervous system. So EMDR is a way to identify what those memories are that are stuck and causing yuck. And then you focus on them with bilateral stimulation with a safe, supportive therapist and a really safe environment, meaning safe, like emotionally safe and of course, physically safe. But, and it helps you to just kind of digest all that yuck in your nervous system. So at the end of reprocessing a memory, Clients tend to say, wow, I can't even really see it anymore. Or I think about it and it just doesn't bother me. Or you may even have new adaptive insights like, oh my gosh, you know what? I did do everything I should have done in that situation. Or, oh my gosh, I am a good person, damn it. And it just like naturally comes from you. It's not like your therapist saying, say with me over and over again, I am a good person. I am lovable. I am worth, you know, not the therapists yeah. really do that, but, but like you just get there on your own because the memory's digested and you really experience only from experience it only from your window of tolerance. So we see symptoms go down. EMDR can be way quicker and more effective than other like frontline talk therapies like CBT. There are a couple of things like you have to be ready for EMDR. It's not like if you're really struggling with like chronic states of stress, you can just go jump into EMDR therapy and think about that memory and process it. Like your nervous system needs to have like some resiliency and ability to tolerate some difficult feelings and emotions and thoughts and memories. EMDR is kind of like physical therapy. It kind of kicks your butt. So you need to be like, you know, ready in your nervous system to tolerate it. But I how got would you know? In, how would you know? Yeah. If you're so, ready. So some things that I think about when I'm assessing if a client is ready for like reprocessing memories, and if they're not, then we spend lots of time together to get there. But I, I have what I call the preparation hierarchy. So it's like the hierarchy of skills that kind of build on each other that say like, okay, I have resiliency in my nervous system, so I can tolerate some things. So one is being safe enough to feel like, are you safe enough to feel in your actual life environments, like if you were in a really toxic, dangerous relationship or you were actively running from a natural disaster, you're probably not safe enough to feel the things you need to. But are you also safe enough with your therapist? Like you need a safe relationship so you could be vulnerable, right? So safe enough to feel. The next one is can you notice a name? So can you reflect inside and notice what you're feeling and put some language to it, right? So I feel anxious and I'm noticing a flutter in my chest or I feel excited and I feel that because my arms want to move and my voice kind of, whatever that is, you know, whatever you notice and name, but can you do that? Because some of us can't, we look in science like, I just feel confused and I can't yeah. describe yeah. And then the next one is we need to be able to feel feelings. We need to be able to tolerate them and not immediately go into like, I need to run away from them or numb them out. So you need to have some tolerance to sit with the yuck and you need to have some skills to be able to flex. So flex in your nervous system, meaning like when I feel really down and out, like I was this morning, 
I turned on some music and I sang and I danced around my living room. I did not want to in that moment. I just wanted to feel sad, but that's a way that I flex. Cause when I did that, I was able to kind of get out of that. So do you have some, do you have coping skills and do they work? Now that doesn't mean that you have all those pieces in place. And like, you're the epitome of like health and wellness. Cause anyone would <laughs> go on to therapy, right? You wouldn't go to therapy if you're like, got it. I'm coping. Great. But you need some of those skills to be able to tolerate EMDR because otherwise if you were planning on like running a marathon and you just ate a self-care cake and some donuts and a liter of soda, how would that go? it would not go well. It would be very painful and you'd probably make yourself sick. So the same thing stands for EMDR. Like we need to know that your nervous system has like the resiliency and the skills to be able to tolerate some of the stuff you need to work on. And especially if some of the stuff we need to work on is some really heavy trauma, like you need to know that like you have like the fitness to be able to get there because otherwise it's, it's just gonna kind of make it worse. But there's a whole phase of EMDR that's built on creating that resiliency and that kind of neurophysiological fitness so that when you get there, like you can run that marathon and you can tolerate it and you get to the end of it and you're like, God, I feel better. <laughs> yeah. So there's like uh, 400 people right now that are like, how do I find somebody? Do, can I, do I work with you? Do I work with some, what do I do? How do I do this? I need to do this. I'm ready. I feel ready. I'll prep. I'll do it. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. yeah. So um, to find an EMDR therapist some places that I'd recommend going, so EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A, which stands for the EMDR International Association, they, um, they're kind of like the governing body of EMDR as a therapeutic practice and um, in the United States. So if you go to EMDRIA.org, they have a specific place where you can go to find a therapist. And so you can put in there like your zip code and like how far you're willing to drive. If you want to see somebody in person, EMDR works amazing virtually, just FYI. Like I still see clients. I have a tiny caseload at this point because most of my work is about training, but they're all virtual. Um, so EMDR is amazing virtually. So you can look there. Another great place to check out is psychologytoday.com. Psychology Today is a great like therapy directory. Um, and you can search for, um, you can specifically search for EMDR as a modality. You can search by your zip code. You can search um, by insurance as well. If you want to find somebody who will take your insurance. I do recommend that if you find somebody who practices EMDR, like some questions to ask them are, you know, tell me, when did you get trained? If you're working with a therapist who says they're level one or level two trained, don't do EMDR with them because that's super old school language. It's not relevant anymore. And it means that they have not been to like training. Or they've been really out of the loop for a very long time. And I would not trust their skills. Um, if you find a therapist who's EMDR certified, that means that they have gone above and beyond just getting EMDR trained and they've done a lot of advanced training. So they tend to be really expert clinicians. So look for somebody who is EMDR certified or is an EMDR consultant. Um, Cause that means they've done tons of extra training and EMDR is like really their thing. Um, and, you know, ask them a little bit about like, how do you approach this work? How do you practice? Like, what are some things that you might do to help you know, to help me get ready for EMDR. Um, yeah, those are, those are some of my recommendations. So psychologytoday.com and emdria.org. And so one of the things that you said earlier was, you know, you have a, a light caseload of one-on-one -on -one work at the moment, but you're doing a lot of training. I mean, there are plenty of mental health professionals that are listening that are like, wait, wait, training, you can train, you can teach me how to do, wait, 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 yeah. wait. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast as a mental health professional, I'm sure, sure you've heard of EMDR. And if you haven't yet gotten trained, I just can't recommend it enough. I got trained in EMDR back in 2006 and have found it to be the most long lasting, like sustainable, impactful therapeutic technique I use with my clients over and over and over again. It's a therapy that does not wear off. It's like, yeah, that's really healed. It's not just a bunch of band-aids. Um, and you can use it with everyone, all populations, all cultural identities. It's practiced on like every continent around the world. You can use it with infants. 
throughout the lifespan. So anyone of any age of any social identity can benefit from EMDR. So my business, Rebecca Case and Co, we offer EMDR basic training, which is like the first step. Basic training is like getting your bachelor's in EMDR. Training, unfortunately, right now is only available to folks who are mental health professionals who are licensed eligible in their degree. So you need a master's or a doctorate level degree in a mental health counseling field that is license eligible. Those are not my rules. So unfortunately, if any other helpers out there, if that doesn't fit who you are, oh, I'm sorry, you can't go to EMDR training. Um, but we offer basic training, which is like the first step of getting EMDR trained. It's 50 hours of training. So it's a big training comparatively to some of the other big evidence-based therapies out there like IFS or somatic um, experiencing or sensory motorcycle therapy, you're going to get trained in a lot quicker amount of time for a way less amount of money. Um, so it's really beneficial in that way. <clears throat> and then we also provide a lot of advanced training. So if you are already EMDR trained, we offer specialty trainings on things like EMDR with disordered eating or EMDR with complex PTSD or EMDR and ego states therapy. Um, and then my team and I also offer consultation. So we provide individual and group consultation to EMDR therapists, or if you're just a trauma therapist and you want to learn more about treating trauma and you're not EMDR trained, we'd also love to support you and work with you too for consultation. If, if you need. Love Rebecca, mm -hmm. you are a joy and a pleasure. I don't, you guys can't see the chat, but halfway through this talk, I wrote Rebecca message that just said, I adore you. And because it's true. <laughs> and the first time we met, we spoke and I was like, yes, to everything you say. And then we did another workshop when I was on your side and we were mm -hmm. both like, yes, to this. And then now we're doing this here and it's yes, 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 so, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> so thank you for showing up for us today. I hope that your um, self-care cake it's delicious. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be some amazing. ice cream on it too. <laughs> I think that's a great plan. I'm so appreciative of you being here. And I just want to take a moment to stop and say, this is how we find the helpers, you guys. Right, People are out there doing things and learning things and teaching things that make our world better. Rebecca, thank you for being one of them. Thank you for being one of them. I'm so grateful that I found you. Ditto. You are such a treat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, fried fam. There is always another thing. I remember as an acupuncturist, often coming to a place with clients where, not maybe not often, but certain certain patients over time would say you know i'm i'm trying to fix this thing and and we're just not making the progress that i want and i would say okay well what else can you try like i don't care if it's me that fixes it i care that it gets fixed so what else can we look at and i just want you to take a moment to realize that there's always more to try that the road no matter how much you've done and no matter how much you've learned there's always another thing out there and we are doing our best to get it to you because fuck these systems and fuck these rules amen burn it down <laughs> <laughs> sending you love be good to yourselves and each other until next time this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.